wondered what an athlete or celebrity is really like in real life? Like for instance, watching football all these years, I have a feeling that Russell Wilson is probably a really nice guy. I don't know him, I don't know anybody who knows him, but he just gives off this really nice guy vibe, at least to me. Uh, we have a friend who's a producer on a morning news show and she works with an anchor that everybody adores. They think that that person is just wonderful. And her friend, the producer, said to us one day, everybody thinks they're great. They're really not. They are so mean once the camera goes off. I'm like, oh, who would have guessed? That's just so disappointing. Megan and I have been watching this TV show called Claim to Fame. And it's been on for, I think, two seasons. We're in the middle of the second season. And the idea behind it is that there are these celebrities and they have relatives. And it's the relative that goes on and they play this game. There's like 12 people. And you're supposed to try and keep your celebrity relative's identity hidden. And they go through all these gyrations to do that. And every week, somebody gets essentially voted off of the island, except it's like a mansion in, in Beverly Hills. Um, and two different people. Now, no spoiler alert. I'm not going to tell you who they were because you might watch the show. Two different people were related to really big name people that everybody thinks are really nice. And when they had to reveal their celebrity um, relative, they both said, that person is everything you think they are. They really are that nice. And I think that's pretty cool. They're the real deal. They're just exactly who we think they are. Now, everybody has good days and bad days, but in general, what would people say about you? Are you the real deal? Or would people be disappointed to find out that you're different when the camera isn't on? And in specific, would people say that what you do lines up with what you say you are as a follower of Jesus? I remember this guy that I met through a, a, a mutual friend, and he actually came to our church, visited once or twice. And I was talking with my friend. I'm like, oh, he seems like a really great guy. And my friend was like, he is a great guy, unless you cross him in business, and then he'll slit your throat. I'm like, oh, that's kind of disappointing. So who we are, who we really are, who other people really are, it's kind of at the heart of what Jesus is going to talk about today in the Sermon on the Mount. So we're going to be reading from Matthew 7, verses 15 through 23. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. 
Now, as we've learned over and over again, context is king. If you rip these passages out of their context, you can make them say something that they don't say. So let's remember the context. The context of these passages is the Sermon on the Mount. And what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount is creating a community and describing what that community looks like, what it values, what, what people do, what people say, what they don't do, what they don't say. And ultimately, he's describing what the kingdom of God looks like. And now we're on to this part where no more heavy-duty teaching. Jesus is basically laying out how are you going to respond to everything that you've heard. So now we have a couple of examples and warnings. In verse 15, Jesus says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. Jesus, a famous metaphor mixer, is going to talk about prophets, wolves, and fruit to make a point. So watch out for false prophets. If there are false prophets, there must be true prophets, right? Otherwise, you would just say, watch out for prophets. So there are true prophets, and they're good. There are false prophets, and they're bad. And you need to be able to tell the difference. And please note that there's nothing in here that says that these false prophets are shepherds or pastors. I see a lot of that assumption, but that's reading something into the verse that just is not there. These are people who come into the community and pretend to be like the people in the community, only they aren't. They enter into the community and they act like they're just one of the sheep, but they're in the community to destroy it. Maybe not to make the church close, but to destroy its real purpose. That's the threat, to neutralize the church, to get it focused on something else than people being transformed by an encounter with Jesus. So, first, we need to have a better understanding about what we're talking about here. What is a prophet? And I think there's a lot of confusion about that. A prophet, biblically, is not a fortune teller. And yet, that's what most of us assume, that prophecy is about how the world's going to end. But that is just one little tiny sliver of the pie. In biblical understanding, a prophet isn't a a fortune teller, it's someone who speaks for God. And generally when they're speaking for God, what they're doing is calling people back to God. I mean, this is almost the message of the minor prophets and most of the major prophets in the Old Testament. Their basic message is to rehearse the covenant that God made with his people. People signed up for this thing and then they wandered away. And the prophet is calling them back to their relationship with God. And if he talks about anything future-related, it's more along the line of, if you come back to God, these are the things that are going to happen. If you don't come back to God, these are the things that are going to happen. So if they're talking about the future, it's generally in order to say, if you don't repent, this is what's in store. So a prophet is not really a fortune teller. There's someone who speaks for God. And that's a heavy weight to shoulder, and one that most of us do in one way or another. I mean, think of this. In your context, if you've made it known that you're a follower of Jesus, you speak for God. So you might want to get it right. 
So this is what a true prophet is, someone who speaks for God and calls people to faithfulness to the gospel. And this is important moving forward. What is the gospel? And we need to be clear about this. The gospel is basically, we chose poorly. And because of that, everything is broken. We couldn't fix it ourselves. We were sinners who need to be saved from the evil and the sin and the brokenness. And so God steps in in Jesus. God, Jesus who is God, comes and puts aside everything that it means to be God, all of his prerogatives, and is born and lives among us and shows us what God looks like, reveals God's love and God's grace and God's um, purposes in our lives. He does everything that humans do, but he does it without sin. And then he dies in our place on the cross and by his death and resurrection breaks the power of sin and death and begins to inaugurate the kingdom of God, which he talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. That's the gospel. And that's what we're called to. You might have noticed some things that are missing from that. And that's because those aren't the gospel. There are all sorts of other implications of the gospel, how we should live, what we should do, what we should think, what we should believe, but those aren't the gospel. And it's really important that we focus on the gospel and that's what the prophets, the true prophets, call us to. So what then is a false prophet? Well, it's a little bit more complicated than that. And the word that's used here is kind of interesting. It occurs once in the book of Zechariah, but it occurs a lot in the book of Jeremiah. In Jeremiah, there are two types of prophets. There is Jeremiah and pretty much everyone else. Jeremiah wasn't very popular because his message was depressing. It was the word of God and it was the truth, but it was kind of depressing. And so consequently, nobody really wanted to listen to Jeremiah. The prophets who weren't Jeremiah were really popular. And they were really popular primarily because they told people what they wanted to hear. Jeremiah told them that if they didn't repent, that there was a foreign army that was going to destroy them. The popular prophets told people that there was nothing but peace to look forward to, so why fix what isn't broken? Now, spoiler alert, only one of those messages ended up being true, and it's the one who got his book in the Bible. The pseudo-prophets, that's the word that's used, told people what they wanted to hear, not what God was really saying. So that begins to help us understand. False prophets tend to tell people what they want to hear. They don't tend to emphasize what God is really saying. They don't major on the gospel. And a major point that Jesus is making here is that there are wolves in sheep, sheep's clothing. There are people that are actively trying to mislead you. That's not hypothetical. Now, I don't want you to be paranoid, and I don't want you to give up trusting people, but test what's being said against what you know about the character of God and what the Bible says. And again, we tend to think of this as just being leaders, but there are an awful lot of people out there influencing over coffee that are not following the gospel. 
And then Jesus gives us a couple more ideas about how to recognize a false prophet. In verse 16, by their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Jesus says, look at the fruit they produce. Is it good or bad fruit? If the fruit is good, they're good. If the fruit is bad, they're bad. Now, fruit is obviously a metaphor here. So maybe look at it this way. What do these people leave in their wake? Destruction, chaos, peace, hope, integrity? That will tell you who they really are, whether they're true or false prophets. The Old Testament also gives us a number of practical tests for prophets. The first is in Deuteronomy 18, and it's kind of a practical test. Did what they predict actually happen? If it did, they're probably a true prophet. If it didn't happen, they're definitely a false prophet. Deuteronomy 13 gives us kind of a theological test. What they said was going to happen might have happened, but are they calling people to follow God, or are they calling people to follow something or someone else? And then in Jeremiah 23, you get what is kind of the ethical test. Are they people of integrity? Maybe what they said happened, but if you wouldn't buy a used car for them, from them, or if you wouldn't trust your daughter around them, then they can't really be a true prophet because true prophets have integrity and character. And there's some implications here. Like for the practical test, when um, this is, gosh, probably what, maybe the 90s, maybe the early 2000s, uh, there was a guy running around Northern California, and he was quite elderly by that time, and he really made a name for himself by making predictions about when the world was going to end, about when Jesus was going to return. But here's the thing. For decades, he was always wrong. And he always had some explanation for why he was wrong, but the truth of the matter is his predictions didn't come true. So the lesson is, don't listen to him. And that's relatively easy. The second test is the theological test. Say what they said actually happens, but who are they really calling people to follow? Are they calling people to follow God or some other thing? An easy example of this is the prosperity gospel. If you're not familiar with that, it is basically that God wants to bless you with abundance, with prosperity, generally money. But that's not the gospel. I mean, it is patently false. The prosperity gospel seems to play well in some suburban settings, but it doesn't play well in the slums of India. It doesn't play well among poor people around the world. And here's the thing about Jesus. He doesn't have different gospels for different socioeconomic brackets. He doesn't have different gospels for Americans and Europeans and Africans and Southeast East Asians. If it doesn't play everywhere, it isn't right. It's a false teaching. And the people who are saying it might be well-meaning, or they might just be trying to justify their own greed. But what they're teaching is not God's teaching, so don't follow them. So 
What are other things that might be out there that Christian leaders or influencers might be saying that might sound good? They might even be what we want to hear, but really don't reflect the values of the gospel of Jesus. I will let you answer that question. And then third, there's the ethical test. What if they're right? The things they say line up with the gospel, but their lives are not filled with integrity. Character matters. If you say one thing and do another, that's not a godly characteristic. That makes you a hypocrite. And hypocrites generally can't be trusted, so don't trust them. So now see this in context. Jesus is setting up a new community. It's gathered around the good news of the gospel. It's countercultural, and you don't get there just by doing cultural things and baptizing them. You get there by doing things differently in the kingdom. So beware the people who will only tell you what you want to hear. Beware the people who will change the gospel to make it more palatable. These people will give you bad advice and they'll cloak it in religious language. Beware the people whose lives don't line up with the gospel. One of the things that I think is also worth noting here is that no one has to warn you about wolves in wolves' clothing. You can generally spot them. So Jesus is talking about people who look one way, who give off this impression of being one thing, but on the inside, there's something different, and they're set on being destructive. They're within the community, but not truly following the Jesus way, and they are actively trying to derail other people. And I see this all the time. Sometimes it can be control issues. This is my church, and we will do things my way. Now, I'm not talking about us. I have a lot of friends, though. Um, and it's usually because people have missed what the gospel really is, or somewhere along the line, they have gotten more interested in something else. But all of these people, they might look nice, they might act nice, they might be nice, but their intentions will end up being destructive. And how can you tell who they are? You can recognize them by what they produce. If they leave chaos and hurt in their wake, you may not want to follow them. Now, don't confuse this with the normal trauma of change. Change always produces some anxiety and produces emotion in people. That, that's totally fine. But Jesus is talking about people here who, in the long term, have a separate agenda, and their, general, their agenda doesn't match up with the gospel. The entire Sermon on the Mount is concerned with not what people say, but how disciples live. And then Jesus goes on and says, do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? And the answer to that is no. And you'd be foolish to try to do that. So the warning here is actually to people. Don't follow a false prophet. You're not going to get something different than what you see. There's this, this great fable. It didn't come from Aesop. It's much later. It came from like an early 20th century Russian writer. It's called The Frog and the Scorpion. And there's a scorpion on the bank of a river, a pond, or something like that. And he wants to get to the other side. Scorpions can't swim. And so he sees a frog. And he says to the frog, will you carry me across to the other side? And the frog says, no, because you're a scorpion. 
and how do I know that you're not going to sting me and then I'll die? And the scorpion says, I promise you that I will not sting you. That doesn't make any sense because if I sting you, then you'll die and I'll drown too. And so the frog thinks about this for a second and is like, okay, there, there, that makes a certain amount of sense. And so he invites the scorpion to get on his back and it starts to take him across the body of water. And just a little ways out, the scorpion stings the frog. And the frog starts to die from the scorpion's sting. And he looks at the scorpion and says, why did you sting me? Now we're both going to die. And the scorpion says, it's my nature. It just illustrates the point. You can't get grapes from a thorn bush. One more comment on the trees. We get to choose what type of tree we will be. This is one of the contrasts. There's a wide way and a narrow way. There are good trees that produce good fruit and bad trees that produce bad fruit. We get to choose. God doesn't just make you a good tree or a bad tree. You do that. You choose what you're going to produce. So produce good fruit. How do you do that? You do it by doing what Jesus says. And remember, most of the time, life is lived in the small things. If we were called you know, to make grand gestures, most of us would choose correctly. But who we really are tends to come out when no one else is around us or when it's relatively small things. If you'll lie to save a couple bucks, then your integrity is worth a couple bucks. We pay things out in small things. We produce the real true fruit is the fruit that we produce in the small decisions and when no one is looking. We all produce fruit, but we can change the fruit we can produce. And if you recognize that maybe you haven't been producing good fruit, whenever you're ready to live differently, Jesus will not go, sorry, you missed your chance. Jesus will be happy to transform you. And that's most of our history of discipleship. I learned, I grew, I'm different. By the grace of God, I'm not the person I once was. And then Jesus continues, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. This is a different class of people. The wolves in sheep's clothing, they know what they're doing. These people seem to be as surprised as anyone by what Jesus says. Lord, we did good things. Now this very thing comes up again in the parable of the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25. So if Jesus bookends his teaching ministry, he begins with talking about this in the Sermon on the Mount, pretty much ends it with the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25. If this is on either end of Jesus's ministry, it might be worth paying attention to. But before I deal with that, I want to make a quick note. Because perhaps the most important thing is in verse 23. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Emphasis on the I and the me. This is the first time that the Gospels depict Jesus as being the judge and Jesus as being the focus of salvation. It all has to do with Jesus. And that's easy to miss. 
but it's really important. And Jesus says that the judgment, the basis of salvation, is whether or not you did the will of God. Not what you said, not what you believed, but what you did. We talked about this quite a bit last week, so you can go back and look at that. But we always search for exceptions, don't we? What about the thief on the cross? You know, he only had time to believe. What about my grandpa who accepted Jesus right before he died? I think with those things, the scripture is clear. They responded to Jesus in faith. But the context here is not people on their deathbeds. The context here is people who are living their lives and are faced with the choice of whether or not they're going to truly follow Jesus. That's what it's addressed to. What are you going to do with the knowledge that you have? Because Jesus is never presented as just being a good teacher. Jesus is never presented as just being a great ethical leader. Jesus is the savior of the world, and there's no substitute for real discipleship. You can say all the right things, you can even do all the right things, but ultimately, it comes down to having a relationship with Jesus. I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. You seem to think that you knew me, but it didn't go both ways. This is the call to be the real deal. It's not enough to look or sound religious. It's not enough to act that way sometimes. It's a call to be totally transformed so that whether you're in a city where no one knows you or in the middle of a bunch of people who do, whether you're doing small things or large things, you are the same person. I'm going to bring out again a quote from Soren Kierkegaard that I used a couple of months ago. He never asks for admirers, worshipers, or adherents. No, he calls disciples. It's not adherents of a teaching, but followers of a life Christ is looking for. And I think that's the difference. As I look around, I see that we're at a crossroads culturally, in the church and in our culture. There are huge changes that are happening in our culture and in the church. The way we've done things in the past isn't going to work in the future. Lots of churches are answering questions that no one is asking and ignoring the questions that people are asking. Too many Christians are focused on the wrong things. I've heard a number of pastors uh, that I know say something like, people in their congregations have literally said to them, turning the other cheek didn't work. So now we have to try something more aggressive. That's to lose focus on what the most important thing is. And when we do things like that, when we focus on the wrong things, we quit being the church. And we just become another social institution that has unique iconography. And we appear to outsiders to be judgmental and hypocritical and bigoted and all sorts of other things that run counter to the gospel. And people notice that what we say and what we do are two different things. I, I was, as I was thinking about this, an old Bonnie Raitt song, Let's Give Them Something to Talk About, keeps going through my head. And I think we have given them something to talk about, but it's the wrong things. Because if what we're saying doesn't reflect the gospel, then it basically neutralizes everything Jesus has tried to do. It's more important than ever that we are the real deal. 
to make sure that even the most jaded observer would look at our lives and say, their beliefs might be a little bit crazy, but man, they bring peace and joy and hope and justice with them wherever they go. So let me ask you three questions. What type of fruit are you producing? Number two, would the people you know say that you're the real deal? And number three, what is one step you can take this week to follow Jesus more authentically? Hi, thanks for watching. The people of Harbor Covenant Church really want you to know the love that God has for you, want to grow with you in faith, and want to serve alongside you, not only to help others do the same, but also to make our families and our communities better. If that sounds like something that you can get on board with, then like, follow, and drop us a comment in the video. Watch some more videos on our channel or come visit us on Sunday. You can find out more about Harbor Covenant Church at harborcove.church.